to the law. A light of them which are in darkness. The, the average Jew considered a Jew Gentiles. The scum of the earth. They were simply foolish dogs who didn't have the law. They were godless. And Paul says, if you are such a person, you're a Jew, I want to ask you a question. And again, I want you to insert the, the word Christian here. Behold, you're called a Christian. You've got a copy of the Bible in your house. You call yourself the people of God. You know the will of God because you've read the Bible. You go to Sunday school. You consider yourself a, a guide of the blind. We as Christians believe that we've got the answers to society's problems. And we do if we give them the word of God. We consider ourselves a light. Jesus said of Christians, he says, you are the light of the world. Uh, light under a bushel, but we're to put it on the lampstand so that it might give light. We're a city set on a hill. So now we have to ask ourselves in verse 21. He says, you therefore who teach another. You know, there's a higher degree of accountability for those of us who teach the word of God. And I shudder to think about that. James, I think it's in chapter 3, James says uh, that many of us should not aspire to be teachers. The King James says masters. Uh, condemnation for those who, who proclaim to be teachers of the law if, if they don't live up to it. And so I take that very seriously. And I, I have been under a lot of conviction this week preparing this message because I realize the, the, only, the shortcomings and the, the, uh, the deficiencies in my own life. And I thank God for His grace. But He says, You therefore would teach us another. Do you not teach yourself? That's one of the perils of the teacher is that we would study the Word of God in order that we might teach them. But we need to read the Word of God and teach ourselves as well. It's not enough to know the Word of God. We have to do the Word of God. James says, don't simply be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Because if you're simply a hearer of the word and not a doer, then your faith is dead. Your, your religion is vain. He says, you that preaches that a man should not steal, do you steal? Now you might say, well, I, don't, I would never go into a, a, a bank and rob it uh, with a mask on. And uh, I, I would never take anything that didn't belong to me. But how about... Stealing from your employer. How about lazing around while he's paying you for an honest wage and you're uh, taking longer breaks or taking, uh, taking two hours for lunch instead of one hour. They're paying you for one hour lunch break. How about uh, the times when, you, uh, when you're not giving your best to your employer, not being honest in your dealings. Thou that preachest a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And remember Jesus expanded upon this command. You say, well, I've never uh, slept with another person's spouse. Yes, but, but Jesus said if you look on that person with lust in your heart, then it's adulterous. It's, the sin of adultery is there. And, uh, and the law, Jesus raised the demands of the law. He didn't uh, relax them. He actually uh, made them even more stringent. And by the way, James also says there's spiritual adultery. He says you adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that being friends with the world is to be an enemy of God? Some of us commit adultery against God uh, by being a, a lover of the world. John said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, you that abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? 
or, or literally rob temples. Now, I, I found out something interesting as I was studying this week, and that is in the day that Paul wrote this, in the first century, idolatry, as, as traditionally is uh, practiced, was almost non-existent in Israel. Now, during the monarchy, when you had uh, everybody from Solomon onward, uh, while there was a kingdom, a monarchy, idolatry was rampant in the nation of Israel. But by the time the exile had happened and, and they had come back, uh, regathered into, the, uh, into the, the land, idolatry was almost non-existent. And, so, uh, and yet the New Testament forbids idolatry over and over. And so we have to think idolatry not in the narrowest of terms, of bowing down to a statue, but rather anything that you put before God is an idol in your life. And we have a lot of idols. We have a lot of things vying for our affection. He said, you that make your boast of the law through breaking the law, do you dishonor God? You know, I know people who are proud. They would take a stand for the Bible, but wouldn't obey it. I know people who would fight for prayer in school, and yet they don't pray at home. I know people who would sign petition to keep the Ten Commandments hanging in the courtroom, and yet they don't know two or three of the Ten Commandments. Now we get to verse 24, and this, this really gave me pause. It says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Wow, what an indictment. This, this comes from Ezekiel 36 and Isaiah 52, uh, 5, by the way. It's kind of an adaptation of those. And I, I, I shudder to think that I would live my life in such a way that rather than being an advertisement for God, I would be a keep away sign. I wonder how many times people look at our lives and they say, well, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want any part of it. Now we get to rituals. And every time you see the word circumcision here, I want you to think about baptism or church membership or taking communion or, uh, or confirmation or infant uh, baby dedication or something like that. It says, for circumcision profits if you keep the law. Paul says, uh, if you circumcise, you're a debtor to keep the whole law. He says, for circumcision profits if you keep the law, but if you be a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. Now, circumcision is not a big deal to us, but to the Jewish people, it was a huge deal. Genesis 17, it was the sign of the covenant uh, between God and, and Abraham. And so it, this was a huge deal. The cutting of the foreskin was a, and it was done when they were uh, eight days old. You know, it was not even something that they did uh, as a, a responsible adult. It was something that was done for them. He says, if the uncircumcision, verse 26, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? He said, it would be better to be uncircumcised and love God than to be circumcised and not obey the Lord. That would have been, uh, that would have been uh, really amazing to the average Jew to hear that. For, for Paul to say, it would be better for you to be uncircumcised and obey the Lord than to be circumcised and not obey God. Verse 36, he says, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted... Or circumcision he says if you love the Lord he said it'd be better than being circumcised 
It'd be better to be an unbaptized believer than to be a baptized unbeliever. Let me put it in terms that we can, we can wrap our brains around. He says, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. In other words, it's not about an external ritual. It's not about a cutting in the flesh. He said, but he is a Jew, verse 29, which is one inwardly. It's the secret place where nobody but God can see. And circumcision is not, excuse me, circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. Chuck Swindoll gave a really great illustration I wanted to share with you. This is in regard to people who trust in, in rituals to, to save them. And he said, think about a husband and a wife. Now think about if your, your spouse never wore their wedding ring. Okay? And, and some people don't because of the jobs that they have. He says, think of your spouse never wore a wedding ring, but yet they were faithful to you all the days of their life. And what about another person who never took their wedding ring off but was unfaithful to their spouse? What would you rather have? An, an unfaithful spouse who, who proudly wore their wedding ring? Or would you rather have a faithful spouse who didn't wear a ring? I think the answer is obvious. And that's the point that Paul is making here, is that God is looking for righteousness in the heart. And, and notice this circumcision is done in secret it's done by God it can't be done externally it is from the Lord and so we as the people of God have to have a real faith that is uh, sincere and not based on externals you can't say well mom and dad were Christians and so therefore I'm in the family of God you can't say well I was baptized and therefore uh, I'm in the family of God or I joined the church all of those things are great. None of those things are bad things. But we have to ask ourselves, have you been born again? Have you experienced the life-changing, transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Have you repented of your sins? Have you become a new, cre a new creation? That's an important question we must ask ourselves. Now let's go on to chapter 3. We're not going to go very into it. But he says in verse 1, he says, What advantage then has the Jew? Uh, so... Paul's given this argument now, and so one might ask himself, well, uh, if circumcision is not of any profit, if, if being a, a descendant of Abraham uh, doesn't mean anything, is there any benefit at all? And Paul said, yes, much in every way, verse 2, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Literally, they were the people who received the word of God and the promises of God. You do realize that your Savior, Jesus Christ, is Jewish. He came from the tribe of Judah. He's a descendant of Abraham. And so there's no room for anti-Semitism or replacement theology in the church. God made promises to Israel that he intends to keep. He's going to fulfill. There are yet promises uh, to Israel that God's going to uh, fulfill. They're going to, to dwell in the land safely. And Jesus Christ is going to reign uh, from the throne of his earthly descendant, King David, and judge the 12 tribes. He said in verse 3, he said, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? You know, in other words, well, God, these were your chosen people. These are your chosen people. You know, these are the ones that you gave the law. 
and by and large they have failed to keep your covenant have you ever read the old testament uh, if you have you realize that for the most part as far as israel is concerned they were a failure they continually went into bondage they got caught up in idolatry immorality they were taken away captive and assimilated into other cultures and even in the days of jesus christ they all most of them rejected jesus and paul says shall their unbelief make the faith of god without effect one might ask the question well god if these are your chosen people things it seems like things are not working out too well the plan uh it isn't working and uh, and we're going to get to romans uh, 9 through 11 which talks about the the past present and the future of israel so uh stay stay tuned for that that's, that's good but he says in verse 4 god forbid let god be true but every man be a liar as it is written that you might be justified in your sayings and might overcome when you were judged he's quoting from psalm 51 that great penitent prayer uh, of king david when he asked god for forgiveness he's saying no god's promises have not failed god's promises let god be true and let every man be a liar now verse 5 we get to an accusation then you say well if our unrighteousness commends the righteousness of god what shall we say then is god unrighteous who taketh vengeance and Paul says, I'm speaking only in earthly terms. He says, what a crazy idea this would be. The idea here is, well, uh, if, if my failure makes God look great, then how can God judge me? You know, after all, I'm doomed, doomed to fail. But he says, God forbid, for how then shall God judge the world? We know from the other chapters that God is an impartial judge. Now, verse 7, he says, if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie, and to his glory why yet am i judged as a sinner in other words if if god's truth is magnified by my lies then how can god hold me accountable for lying and then we get to verse 8 which shows one of the accusations that they have made against paul and not rather as we have slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just this is the false accusation against the grace of god people will say well if, if you don't if we're not under the law and we're under grace then we ought to just sin all we want to because God's glorified all the more. And Paul says this is such a pagan idea that anybody that believes that, their damnation is just. And so I want to leave you with that thought this morning. And I know the past few weeks we have been, it seems like we've been dominated with bad news. And I'm sorry, we've still got a little more bad news to go. So don't stay home because we need to hear it. Paul, is like, Paul has not been talking about how to be saved in Romans 1 through 3. He's not been talking. He mentions the power of God, uh, uh, of the gospel. But then he gives us the bad news. And the bad news is that the whole world needs a savior. The whole world is guilty before God. You might be a pagan uh, and not believe in God. And, and you're condemned. But you might be a moral person who, who by, your very, uh, by violating your conscience, you stand under the guilt of God. Or you might be a religious person who's trusting in church membership or baptism to save you. And Paul says, that's not enough. We need the grace of God. And so we come to the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is that Jesus came to this world. He died on a cross. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. He died in your place and my place. And if we will put our faith and trust in him, if we will believe in him, we will have eternal life. Brother Ronnie. So I invite you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't leave this place today. There may be somebody here. You say, well, I got baptized a long time ago. 
or I joined the church, but I know I've never been saved. Mom and dad, my, my whole family is a Christian, but I know I've never trusted Jesus as, as my Savior. I invite you today, this may be your last opportunity, that if you don't know the Lord, to call on the Lord. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved.